0: Hello, welcome to this recording of James chapter 1 for evening service. This is not a recording of the live sermon. This is a re-recording because we forgot to press record on that day. So the reading is James chapter 1 verses 1 to 18. And before we get into the reading, we're going to introduce the letter of James. So the letter was written to, by James to the 12 tribes of the dispersion. That is the people of God scattered outside of Israel and by the language used, specifically Jews who had converted to Christianity. James assumes that they are meeting in synagogues still. Thus James 2 verse 2 uh, in English comes out, as, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing fine clothes. That's how it comes in English, but the Greek word used for meeting is synagogon, And the bit about wearing fine clothes is literally a gold-fingered one in splendid clothing, which puts a particular James James Bond baddie in mind. But back to the main point. Meeting in synagogues, then, and no mention of controversies such as whether Gentiles needed to be circumcised means that some scholars say that this is written possibly as early as 45 to 47 AD, so only 12 to 14 years after Jesus died. Support for this is the way that James refers to some of the things that Jesus said, but without quoting directly or being quite the same as the written documents of the Gospels. Thus, for example... Matthew 5 has it do not swear at all either by heaven or by earth let your yes be yes sorry let your word be yes yes or no no anything more than this comes from the evil one whereas James 5 verse 12 says do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by anything or by any other oath let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation so quite possibly, James is quoting from his own memory of the events. Now, according to scholar James Tabor, the epistle of James contains no fewer than 30 direct references, echoes and allusions to the teachings of Jesus. And he claims that they're all found, to be found in the Q source, but um, given the whole point about Q is that we don't know what's in it, uh, and it's a lost source, uh, it feels a little... Um, presumptive to say that they're all in that source. Anyway, other scholars, such as a chap called Luke Timothy Johnson, suggest an early dating for the Epistle of James. He writes this, The letter of James also, according to the majority of scholars who have carefully worked through its text in the past two centuries, is among the earliest of New Testament compositions. It contains no reference to the events in Jesus' life but it bears striking testimony to Jesus' words. Jesus' sayings are embedded in James' exhortations in a form that is clearly not dependent on the written Gospels. It's also worth noticing that this letter is not to to any one group in particular. So it's a pastoral exhortation, if you like, a homily to circulate around various groups to bring encouragement and challenge to right living. James does imagine at times the potential responses from his hearers, but it's not that he's responding to a particular letter or something like that. As for who James is, he opens the letter by telling us he is a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there are numerous contenders for the mantle of author, and most people go with the early church tradition that this is James, the brother of Jesus. That James was evidently a leader when it got to the council of Jerusalem. So that's Acts 5, 15, 12-21. And interestingly, uh, when James gets up to speak, he offers some statements, and then he says, it is my judgment, very clearly uh, positioning himself as a leader. That's at verse 19. There's a sense in which those original hearers of the letter would have gone, James, oh, okay, that James. A bit like we might now refer to Justin. Uh, And most people assume we're talking about Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury, rather than any other Justin even just in Timberlake, or just in Bieber, or just in Trudeau, or just in Martyr. So what does James talk about? I think there's three major strands of James of this letter. Firstly, how to handle difficulties and trials in a Christian way. Secondly, James is concerned about what we say, as a test of genuine faith, rather than grumbling and quarrelling, Thirdly, James suggests that demonstrating, we need to demonstrate our faith in how we live our lives. So in terms of the good things we do, it's about hearing and obeying the word of God. And for me, there's an echo of the wise and foolish builders from Matthew 7 uh, that were on Jesus' lips. And the only difference between them is whether or not they put the words of Jesus into practice. <coughs> So James assumes faith and wants us to work hard on how that faith affects or maybe infects the way we live life day by day. He's focused on the practical outworking of a lively relationship with Jesus. So let's dive in and look at today's passage James chapter 1 verses 1 to 18, which is inevitably a summary of the themes that will be unpacked later in the letter. And for us in the weeks to come, therefore. So verse 2 runs, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And just notice that that's effectively a command. We are to consider it pure joy. And I don't think that's how most of us react when we face trials of many kinds. So consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, verse 3 because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And clearly, there are parallels with that process. Um, in somewhere like Romans chapter 5 verses 3 and 4 or, and in 1 Peter 1 verses 6 and 7. If any of you lacks wisdom then, verse 5, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. So there are clearly wisdom, links with wisdom in the Old Testament and particularly Proverbs obviously it talks about wisdom there's 45 references to wisdom such as my son do not let wisdom and understanding out of your sight preserve sound judgment or and discretion and then there's proverbs 4 which is about getting wisdom at any cost then wisdom sophia wisdom is is begins to be personalized so for example personified sorry so for example at verse uh, proverbs 7 verse 4 say to wisdom you are my sister And to insight, you are my relative. Uh, Proverbs 8, clearly there's a whole chapter on the benefits of wisdom. And some would want to equate the Holy Spirit dwelling in us with wisdom. In fact, wisdom is for me something that goes along with being a mature Christian. We can see people that have been around church for a long time, that have been steeped in scriptures. But if they have not found wisdom, then they seem to be always fighting their corner, their issues, rather than seeing the bigger kingdom issues. So James urges us to ask God for wisdom and gives us the assurance that God gives generously and without finding fault. There's a precursor here, I think, to other stuff in James, where he calls us to be indifferent, as in unchanging, in the way that, for example, we treat others depending on their clothing or their uh, uh, culturedness. It's a bit lost in translation, but there is a concept in the word generously, that is, God gives generously without finding fault. There's a a concept in the word generously, which is around the sort of single-mindedness of God. The Greek word is haplos. Um, For the scholars, it's a hapax legomenon, meaning it's the only use of it in the New Testament. Um, but from other contexts, we, we could think of it as it being something around God's undivided, unwavering intent to give us wisdom. And that brings an interesting contrast with the, with us in the next verse. So verse 5 was, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously so unwaveringly, undividedly, to all who find, all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Verse six. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. And clearly, there's echoes in the Old Testament. So, for example, Psalm. 119 verse 113 runs i hate double-minded people but i love your law you are my refuge and my shield i have put my hope in your word so that reference to double-minded is a translation of a greek word which means split sold and we have a similar sentiment often when we with those who have significant mental health issues or multiple personality disorders or being bipolar, or manic, depressive. It's two extreme states of being. There are also Old Testament references to a divided heart, which can give us a similar impression. But notice how the summary of the law which Jesus quotes is about a singleness of intent. So when Jesus quotes the law, it's, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And I think it's the with all your that really underlines that sense of singleness of intent. It's not, for example, phrased as love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's repeated with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And I think James is calling us to be people who, in the same way that God is single-minded and undivided and unwavering in his desire to give us wisdom, so we are called to be people who are unwavering us and single-minded in our devotion to God. Verse 9, let's go on. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the, the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom fail, falls, and its beauty is destroyed in the same way so the rich will fade away, even while they go about their business. I think perhaps for me there's a, lack, there's a link here back to the, command to take joy to have joy back in verse 2 verse 9 talks of um, a high position believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position and that can be thought of as as exaltation if you like a reminder that we have a heavenly future which is known and secure and so for the poor that's a reason for joy in the midst of the suffering of poverty in other words, whatever happens here, I know I'm going to go to heaven so I can have joy. But equally on the other side of that coin, for the rich, there is too that reminder that they, they who are Christian will also go to heaven. But that means that their riches will not go with them. So the question then is how best to use those riches on earth. And the thing about humiliation is that actually the rich will be humiliated by death, which comes to all. However much money we throw at avoiding death, it does come to us all. So if you're rich, then use your wealth well while you can. But if you're poor, then be comforted that heaven is coming and have joy in that. And enticed. Then after desire is conceived. It gives birth to sin. And sin when it's full grown. Gives birth to death. I think there has to be a link here. To that single mindedness. Of how we are called to live. For in James's terms. We only sin. When we allow ourselves. To be dragged away. By our own evil desire. And enticed. I'm reminded of the only illustration i know coming out of the reformation and it was 500 years in the week of this first time the sermon was produced uh, was preached um 500 years at the end of october 2017 since martin luther put up his 95 statements on his church notice board and unlike ours everybody actually read them and took notice of them anyway martin luther said about temptations you can't stop the birds flying over your head but you can stop them making a nest in your hair. So, in the same way, don't be, in, don't be dragged away, don't be enticed. However self-affirming it is, however righteous you feel in your hurt, however much it feels right, don't sin. Instead, be biblical. So, for example, God always says adultery is wrong. He always says we are to honour our parents. He always asks us to pray for our leaders. Let's not be dragged away by our own evil desires and enticed into sin. Let's instead be single minded in serving God, believing and not doubting. Move on to the last few verses of our reading for that this week. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of all the created, of all He created. Let's read that again. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first-fruits of all He created. He chose to give us birth. That word he chose is bulathais. It's something about a gratuitous, spontaneous determination. He gratuitously chose to give us birth. We cannot earn our salvation. It's God's choosing. We then, who are Christians, stand as firstfruits of, of the redemption, the redemption of creation. If you want more on that. Then Romans 8 verse 18 onwards. Would be helpful to, to read. And think about. So the highlights from this passage. For me certainly are. A call to joy. A call to faith. A call to single minded response to God. A call to recognize that death comes to all. And that can be a comfort and a warning, a comfort for those that are in pain in this life, a, thus being able to look to the future with joy, and a warning to those who have many resources in this life that actually we cannot take it with us. So use it wisely here. Other highlights for me are that God loves us and He's delighted. To help us find wisdom. So James. We demonstrate faith in how we live our lives. That is in terms of the good things we do. It is about hearing and obeying the word of God. May you indeed be somebody who lives, who hears, having heard God's word, who lives by it, who is somebody who has pure joy whenever you face trials, who has a clear view of death, of certainty of heaven, who responds rightly to God's love and care for you. And may you know God's wisdom this day and in the days to come. Amen.